Welcome back to the Tricky Takes podcast. I'm your host, Austin, joined with my co-hosts, Billy and Connor. What's up, guys? How you doing? What's up? Um, well, we are uh, one week into the Major League Baseball 2023 season, and it's been super exciting. Um, if you followed along to our divisional breakdowns, you'll know how excited we are for this uh, upcoming season. Um, if you didn't listen to any of those, uh, welcome into our baseball content. Get prepared. Uh, as summer kicks off, we're going to have be having a lot more of it. Uh, but we are not strictly a baseball podcast. Uh, if, you're, if you're still here from the football days, you know we do a lot of football. So uh, off-season content, the draft is coming up soon. We are We have some rumblings of a potential Tricky Takes mock draft going on. Um, if you want to hear more of me, particularly particularly because you don't really care for Connor and Billy that much, I don't blame you. Uh, I just did a podcast last night with Simon Short over on the uh, Simon Short podcast, and that was a mock draft with me and a bunch of other guys. So uh, go listen to that if you're into mock draft content. It was a really fun one-round, first-round mock draft. Just dominating UFC, they each held a title in different divisions, and now none of them hold a title after Nganu left the UFC. And then Usman lost, has now lost twice. He lost his uh, rematch with Leon Edwards a few weeks ago, actually the night of my wedding. Um, so, yeah, they're going to, you know, this is the first time they've been challenged in a long time, so it's really cool to see them kind of fight their way back as well as some new guys make their way up. Yeah, definitely. And I always forget how old Masvidal is and how long he's been doing it. I mean, we were just talking before we started recording. He's got 51 fights, which in the UFC is absolutely absurd. I mean, most of these guys you'll see retire at, you know, close to 30, 35. But he just kept going and staying strong. Just incredible how long he's been going at it because this is such a rough, rough profession to be in. Speaking of uh, some older guys uh, retiring – how about the news uh, that Tyreek uh, Hill came out with saying that uh, after this yes. current contract with the Dolphins, he's done for. He's hanging him up. At, I think he'd be like 31 or 32 at the end of that contract. Yeah, so I'm actually watching right now. Ty- Tyreek Hill plans to retire after his, that would be his 10th season in the NFL, uh, which would be 2025. He's 29 right now. Um I think he's a Hall of Famer if he retired tomorrow. But definitely sure a I'm... debate. Yeah, it's definitely a debate. I'm not sure if I buy him saying that, you know. Like, he may say it now, and he didn't say it definitely for sure that, you know, that's going to be his last year. But I don't buy it 100%. There's going to be a lot of money thrown at him if he doesn't get extended before then either. Um, you know, that's not out of the question. So, I'm not sure yeah. I buy it. I don't know. If he keeps uh, any of his speed, I mean, teams are always looking for good deep threats. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be the thing to watch is if his speed starts to taper off. But it's this thing we've been seeing recently in the NFL of guys playing, having a lot of success, and just like bowing out while they're still healthy. Um, I mean, he's. it's not like he needs the money of this next contract he's going to get after this one. Um, it you know if he continues playing, it's for you know to chase a ring, or for just the love of the game. And he's already got a ring, so I don't see why he would necessarily go chase another one. Um, if it's if it's you know a health thing, he said he really wants to pursue business and like get into 
uh, you know, business out, outside of football, which a lot of people do uh, successfully while they're in football. But I think maybe, I mean, I, I don't necessarily follow all of his uh, entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurial activities outside of football. I imagine he has, uh, you know, explored some some different avenues. No, no he's a streamer. Yeah, um, I know. I know he's really big into gaming in general, and I think that would be somewhere that he would like to go. Like after his playing career is done, into the gaming industry, not just as a streamer, but uh, you know, maybe working, you know, to develop and maybe sponsor an esports team, which are incredibly uh, difficult and uh, just it's a it's a really good way to burn money if you have a lot of money and just want to get rid of it quick get into esports because it is financially rough. But to uh, Austin, to piggyback off that health thing, do you think seeing what um, two has been dealing with, with, you know, all the concussions, the serious head trauma that he's getting and just all the other reports of CTE, do you think that could be playing into his decision to potentially hang it up a little early while he is still healthy? I think it should be something that every player in the NFL can sit, uh, you know, has to take a look into is there, you know, long-term brain health. Um, you know, it's it's what knocked Luke Keekley out of uh, the league at such a young age. I think he retired at like 28. Um, in and his it was, absolute prime. Yeah, I mean, in his physical prime, but he'd had some concussions through his career. And I think he was like just genuinely worried about, you know, the long-term ramifications of playing 10, 12 years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Calvin Johnson is the last receiver that was like such high profile and listen Tyreek Hill is not Calvin Johnson by any stretch of the imagination but um I mean he's that's the closest comp I have I don't remember anyone in that like really yeah because like there's nobody because I mean Tyreek Hill like you said if he retires right now is potentially a hall of famer if he has another good year in 2023 24 and 25 then I think he's a lock for the Hall of Fame if he goes out and like repeats what he did this past year in Miami. Um, I mean, Calvin Johnson goes down as a top five receiver all time in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, I don't necessarily think he'll get there, but like, should he? He's got a Super Bowl ring. Calvin never did that. So I think think things that Tyreek Hill might be chasing is to the fact to prove that he can do it without the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and get one on his own because, you know, I mean, the Chiefs are looking in the eyes of a dynasty right now if people don't consider them one already. So if people go to say, you know, oh, well, Tyree Kill only has that ring because he was a part of a dynasty. And uh, I could see that being one of his potential motivating factors to – possibly continue playing after this this last uh contract extension runs up if Miami doesn't have one by then he could look elsewhere and sign on to the you know a strong contender and help them I almost don't even with players like him I don't like the talk of oh he wouldn't have done it without that dynasty run because he was just such an integral part of why they made it with his yeah. speed his I mean I mean he that play so he made clutch moments. The the Chiefs don't win that Super Bowl uh without, without him. That uh, what was it? Sting? Was that the Yes. 
I'm pretty sure. Um, it was something along those lines. That it's a you know infamous at this point. You know the the play call on the the long conversion toward in the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl against the Niners. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean I agree with you that he absolutely should not feel like he has to get one on his own. But I mean he's an ultra competitor, and sometimes they will those people will look for anything to make them feel like they've got a, you know, a chip on their shoulder. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I could totally see that angle as well, even though I don't think he should feel that way. Um, it's potentially does just cause you know, he wants to have that, that hunger and feel like people are, are doubting him. Um, no, not everybody gets drafted to the lions and has to, you know, carry a franchise. Tyreek Hill got lucky in the fact that you, you know, got taken to such a, you know, an incredible situation. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Speaking of, uh, you know, dynasties and blue buds and stuff like that, let's go over, uh, let's go talk about a little bit of the March madness. Um. I guess we'll stick with the men first. UConn now has won their fifth national championship. Uh, they're five and zero in the championship game. Are they like? Should we be considering UConn one of the like blue bloods of the NCAA like men's tournament, or is that a little bit too much? Yeah. When was their first one? Is the thing I can't remember their their first win. I know. All five of them have been fairly recent, though, haven't they? If I'm not mistaken. I mean, they won. I know they won one in, like, 2017, I want to say. Maybe a little earlier. I mean, they, they're they there. They make the tournament just about every year. I mean, I, I know they had a, a little downstretch there for a couple of years uh, right after that last win. So they but, won it in... This year, 2014, 2011, 2004, and 1999. So five championships and a 25-year stretch. So basically one every five years, you know, on average, they're going to get one, even though it has been, you know, nine years since the last two. That's pretty, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. That tournament pretty dominant. is tough. Like, you know, everybody, you know, talks about how, uh, you know, incredible it is, uh, and to you know, make a run in that tournament for these underdogs, they were what a five seed this year, a four or a five seed. They were a four. Yeah, a four seed. Uh, San Diego was the five seed, right? Yep. Um, they were a four seed and 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 won it. I don't necessarily have the numbers in front of me on how often a four seed wins it, but over the last several years, it had been one seeds dominating, which is yeah. kind of what you expect. So yeah, I I mean I I've considered UConn a blue blood the last decade or so ever since their last win um since Jim Calhoun left he was their coach there for 25 years probably um he left like I think right after their 2011 one then they brought in Kevin Ollie who won one in 2014 I believe he had some kind of kind of scandal go on a little bit yeah there's failure to monitor his program and not promoting an atmosphere of compliance and they lost a scholarship and they were put on two year probation in 2019. So, I mean, they've, they've been down for a little bit 
And now <clears throat> they got their new head coach in there, Dan Hurley, uh, who's been there since 2018. And he's kind of ride the ship. Last year they were a really good team. This year they were extremely efficient defensively. So I, I've considered UConn kind of a blue blood for a little bit now. Yeah, and I would too. I mean, they've five championships in 25 years. I don't care what sport you're playing. That's difficult no matter what team, what sport, what level you're at, five championships in that short amount of time is incredibly, incredibly impressive. And I think you do have to consider them that. I mean, basketball is one of their, if not their primary sport. And it was women's basketball for a long time. It was, yeah, their women's basketball team was dominant for a stretch. But I mean, now this men's program, if they can, you know, continue this little run that they've had over the last two years. I mean, obviously, like we talked about, they did have that down stretch over the last, you know, seven, eight years, but they're a really, really good team. And if they continue performing even half as good as they have been, and maybe five over the next 50 years, I think they're still in that conversation as a blue blood. Yeah. Uh, I, I would also agree that they, I think should be considered, you know, one of the blue bloods in the uh, tournament now. Um, let's have a head on over to the uh, the women's championship game. LSU final, little controversy in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, LSU finally got their national championship. Uh, for their you know their women's team after they went to the final four in five consecutive seasons in two thousand four, five, six, seven, and eight. Five consecutive Final Four appearances without winning a championship, and you know, oh, uh, fifteen years later, they uh, they go and get it done in the year twenty twenty three. They've been pretty good as of late, um, but this year they really stepped it up. They were the favorites, uh, you know, in, in almost everybody's opinion. Even though, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Clark's got that dog in her. Yeah, Iowa upset South Carolina, who was last year's tournament champion winner, and were the favorites going into the tournament. Uh, after after Iowa and Kate and Clark and Iowa upset them, uh, people a lot of people thought they had the momentum to go get it done against LSU, but. LSU is the better team, hands down, even though Caitlin Clark is one of the best basketball players on the planet right now, men or woman. Like, just her skill level is... Collegially. Yes, yes, yes. yes. She was the best player in that tournament by far. Oh, Oh, yes, hands hands down. I mean, I think men... I mean, she put up a performance that had never been done in the men or women's tournament. Uh, I think it was like 80 points and 20 some odd rebounds, you know, in, uh, consecutively over a two game stretch. Um, yeah. She was the, the first person to go 40 and 10 in a game in the tournament, I think. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. absurd. Um, ridiculous stuff that, that she did. Um, but LSU comes out on top. And then uh, why don't you take Connor since you uh, mentioned that controversy that had kind of spurred up why don't you walk us through what went down so in the the final four game that iowa played in caitlin clark you know like we talked about a great performance but she was doing the john cena you can't see me after hitting uh just an amazing shot to really seal the game and so in the championship game 
late in the fourth quarter, Angel Reese, uh, who also had a very good tournament, uh, was very good for LSU. While they're up by 15, uh, way late into the game, I mean, it's it's wrapping down. Iowa knows they're going to lose. She starts chasing down Caitlin Clark, uh, pointing to her ring finger, getting in her face, doing the you can't see me. And a lot of people have been giving her a lot of crap. Uh, and I think it's a little unnecessary for all that. I mean, it's a high, high pressure game, high momentum. Your energy is all over the place. I just don't get why all the hate for her when, I mean, I get it was a different situation when Caitlin Clark did it. Uh, game winning shot for them pretty much it sealed it for them. And yeah, LSU was up big, but just, the, you've got to understand the emotions that they have in these games. They're going to get riled up. They're going to talk trash. And that's kind of what keeps the games exciting when they're that passionate about it. And, I mean, they had to win five games in a row to get to that point. I just don't – I don't see why anyone would give her any flack for any of that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't really. It doesn't really – it doesn't look as cool or, like – as damn, you know, she got her like as it would if you know she just kind of walked it off like that. That's that's my only thing with it. I mean, I don't see a huge problem with it. It's sports. It's a national freaking championship. Like, of course, the tensions are high, emotions are high. Let them play, man. Like, yeah, it's just part of it, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Caitlin Clark, even Angel Reese said in the interview, she said, you know, Caitlin, you're a great player, you know. Yada yada yada, but Caitlin Clark, man, she's for real. I think cold. it's, I think it's a lot, Ice especially cold. in women's basketball. There's such a talent disparity between like girls that are just taller than everybody. Like, okay, you can be taller than everybody and grab rebounds and and work around the rim, but I think the guards are the much more skilled players. You know, when when you can pull up from the logo at any time in the game and not get pulled and bang it still. Like, and then you could, she set a record for in the Big Ten, most assists in the season, most points in the season, and one other record. But I mean, incredible season by her. And uh, I'm glad we get to see another year for her in college. Yeah. I mean, she's probably going to make more money in college than the WNBA. Yeah. On those NIL deals she's getting. That's the damn truth. And she, she's a really great ambassador for. Uh, female athletes. She, by all accounts, is a great person. I mean, uh, everything I've seen about her, uh, you know, people like rave about her as an individual. Um, and she does, you know, charity work. And she, uh, I believe, she has a deal with like a local place that they they could she could be taking a lot of money from, but instead she's like kind of doing it all just uh, to kind of give back to her community. Um, so yeah, she's, she's awesome. I'm really glad, you know, she's, uh, going to play, uh, in, in the NCAA for another year. I hope she goes and wins one next year. I will be, I'll be rooting for Iowa, uh, in the tournament next year for, for sure. Um, uh, Iowa just as a school does a lot of charity stuff. I mean, they've got yeah, one the of my Austin, favorite traditions in yeah. college football already. Yeah. So, I mean, just seeing her embody that kind of same spirit shows a lot about those programs that they have over there as well. Speaking of the football team, uh, I saw a bunch of tweets like 
Um, Caitlin Clark proves that it's not hard to score points as an Iowa sports team <laughs> and stuff like that. Because <laughs> Iowa's football team was putting up like 20, 20 points max against like Ohio, Miami of Ohio, and things like that. So that was pretty funny. But all right, y'all, y'all ready to get into the baseball talk? Go over the first week. Very excited. Yeah. Austin, why don't you go ahead and, and lead us into that? So, okay, the first thing we're going to talk about here is just the rule changes. We've got three baseball-loving fools who have watched as long back as we can all remember. And going into this year, we all three were very optimistic for the new rules. And I you know, I don't want to speak for y'all. You can let me know if that's not true. But in the conversations we've had, it seems like we were all very optimistic for how well we think this is going to turn out. And uh, we haven't talked about it you know, since opening day. But I just kind of wanted us to have our discussion about how the actual implementation has been, because on paper, we were all in love with it. Uh, You know, in spring, we all, you know, kind of talked about how there are some kinks with it. It'll take some getting used to. Um, It seems like for the most part, it's kind of settled in and the game has forever changed. Honestly, it in one way or the other, whether you like it or you don't, the game is forever changed. But it's not changed different from how uh, from how it used to be. It's changed from how it was recently back to what it used to be like. And I could not be more in love with it. I've got uh, some stats from uh, a tweet from Jeff Passan, uh, the GOAT, who tweeted out a, a little comparison of 2023's first uh, several games compared to the uh, 2022 first 50-ish games. Uh, time of game from 3.09 to 2.38. So that's a full 30-minute difference on average game time. Batting averages up from 2.30 to 2.45, a full 15-point difference. And those 15 points have come almost entirely on the single. So the single has been resuscitated back to life. It is no longer dead as it had been in the last half decade, if not longer. Um, on base percentage, up uh, over 15 points, or right around 15 points, and slugging percentages also up. So the full triple slash, all up, uh, stolen bases is a massive difference. Last year, a 67% success rate, 29 of 43. This year through the start, 70 of 84. So just a complete total uh i mean what is that over it's about almost a hundred percent increase well, it is. Well, so, yes the success rate now that would be an 83.3 percent success rate but the number of like raw steals is over double from 29 to 70 that's over double the steals per i mean you know per 50 games so we'll see how much that stays up i imagine that will come back down to earth a tad but i love it still um and then the pitch clock violations obviously you know there weren't any last year this year they're sitting around under one per game through the first 50 games it was 0.8 per game and i imagine it stays around there uh maybe down ticks a little bit i think maybe we'll be sitting around 
between two third, like uh, two every three games to three every four games, that kind of 66 to uh, 75%, you know, mark. So, yeah, I, I'm in love with it. It's great. Uh, your guys' thoughts. I also love it. You didn't mention I the mean, bigger bag. That, yeah, that one's a, a little thing. bit more difficult to quantify. Just kidding. I mean, that yeah, plays I... maybe a tick into the stolen bases, but the stolen base thing is much more off of the limited uh, pickoffs and the pitch clock. Yep. 100%. Uh, I'm on the same page as you, Austin, though. I, I absolutely love it. I mean, just sitting through a game, it felt like there was just so much dead time the last couple seasons, and it's just been super exciting. I mean, you're constantly getting action. They're playing against the clock, which is something that I've always kind of loved about football as well, is that clock's constantly running. They're constantly having to account for it and adjust it. They've got the play clock. <coughs> and, you know, it's just something it, – it makes it more exciting. I mean, like you said, the averages are going up. On bases going up, we're seeing a lot more runs, which I think a lot of people were thinking we were going to see the opposite. And, and another thing that might play a little bit into the averages going up has been the ban of the shift. Uh, I know you didn't really well, touch not, on that one. Not ban. It is no. A it's it's a limitation. Of, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Forcing people to you know have two infielders on each side of the bag has been interesting, but it's just it's made the game so much more interesting i mean we did see the world baseball classic and how successful it was without any of these rules in it but i think for mlb and just the entire season i mean that is such a smaller tournament slate of games i think for a whole season these changes are just improving the game so much to keep it up with the more faster paced sports you know basketball nba which is ever growing so much faster uh NHL is starting to get a bit bigger here in the States. NFL has always been massive. So I mean, it's, it's helping bring the MLB kind of back into the spotlight, which I think is great for the game and the players and the fans as well. It, it's just wonderful, in my opinion. Yeah, so I think the rule changes are great. I think spring training was their time to kind of test out how serious these were going to be. Uh, you know, we saw some more pitch clock violations, some more, you know, called strikes on batters coming into the box and taking too long. Um, the only thing I don't love is that you're limited to to pickoffs because then it's kind of like an automatic situation where the runner knows he can go. Um, that's one thing I would maybe amend. Uh, but I think the biggest issue the MLB has is televising baseball games. They make it so damn hard to watch games with blackouts and special packages that you have to buy and things like that. That's the big issue with the MLB if they really want to grow the game. They need to get that in front of the viewers on TV because not everybody can afford, you know, 100 bucks a month for, you know, their TV plan to watch these games. And then when they do get that, their team is blacked out in the area. I mean, I think that's just ridiculous. So I think that's the biggest change they need to make if they want to continue to grow the game is to put the damn things on TV and then – you know, people will watch it and, and be interested. And then with these new rule changes that also make it a better watch, you know, not everybody has time to sit around and watch, you know, three, three and a half hours of baseball, but if the games are running two fifteen, two thirty, you know, it's like sitting down and watching a movie. So, I mean, people are much more willing to do that than sit around for three and a half hours watching a slow drawn out baseball game. 
So that's 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 my opinion on it. So I wanted to just mention some of the counterpoints that people are made, and they are very easily, uh, you know, it's very easy to poke holes in them, in my opinion. Uh, the first one that I see, and this is the most common one, is, hey, I love baseball. I want to see as much baseball as I can. You're taking baseball away from me. The great thing about baseball is it's not timed. Okay, the pitch clock is not a game clock. The game can still be four, five, six, seven, eight hours. It can still be nine, 10, 11, you know, however many, uh, you know, innings you want to go. And higher scoring games, the game clock or the amount of time a game takes is going to naturally be higher. It's not a timed game. It's about outs. It's 27 outs, nine innings, you know, for each team. So that's over 50 outs. Was that it's 54 outs you have to get that you know in each game that takes place? That has not changed. The only thing that's changed is it's less time between innings, less time between pitches, and less time between at bats, more action, and it keeps your attention longer. I mean, even for someone who loves baseball as much as I do, I would find myself you know, on the time it took between some pitches or, you know, at bats, hopping on Instagram or Twitter or what have you, and then just kind of zoning out and forgetting there's a baseball game on in front of me for an inning. This, since this season started, baseball's had my full attention every game that's been on. And I haven't, like, I felt the need to go, like, wandering off and looking for other things to distract me. Even as a player, seeing the pitchers that took so long in between pitches, it takes the players themselves out of the game and out of the at-bats. Yeah. So, I mean, it just – in every aspect, I mean, for the fans that are actually at the game, it's keeping them more engaged, us at home. I mean, it's – on every level, it keeps everybody more engaged. Okay. The one minimally valid argument I see – are people who say, okay, well, at games, I'm paying to go to the stadium for a shorter amount of time. I, I kind of get where they're coming from a hair, but I, at the same time, I don't. And some of these people are saying, well, I can't even go grab a beer without missing, you know, two innings now. And so I, I don't know. I mean, that angle, I understand a little bit, but like, come on, man. Like I, you're watching still most of the game and you're going to enjoy much more that the time you're seeing. That's why they walk around with people carrying beers and exactly. throughout the stadium. So well, you I mean, don't have to get up and miss that. There's so many things like just obviously truest part comes to mind for me because that's the park I attend the most. There's so much to do at the stadium too. I mean, even last year, I mean, people were always walking around, going and doing like the different attractions and seeing different things throughout the stadium. You know, there there's other things to the game if you go to the game other than just sitting in your seat and watching the game. It's a whole atmosphere, really. And that's what these stadiums are starting to come to. The new ones that they're building or the additions that they're putting onto these stadiums, <clears throat> they're making it an attraction to come to, so... Yeah, and you know, all that stuff, it's fun to go to the games early and, and knock all that stuff out. 
Like, why do you have to like dig into the time of the actual game to do that stuff? Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand having young kids and stuff, but like, yeah, yeah. If you're a forty year old man with no family, like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Get there, it, right. Yeah. You're just going up there with all your guy friends or something, or yeah. If you and your buddies are going to all thirty MLB, you know, stadiums, and like you're at the the being there for potentially. 30 minutes less, you know, on average, like for the game, like, that's fine. Use that 30 minutes to go do other things. Like Billy said, there's so many things to do at, at the games. Get there early and grab, uh, you know, your first beer instead of waiting until the first inning to grab your first beer. Like it's, it's, it's easy guys, figure it out. Um, you mentioned Billy, uh, the pickoff rule, which I would agree is the worst part of it. Um, I understand it increased the stolen bases, but what a lot of people don't mention, what don't talk about is the reason it's in there is to stop pitchers from abusing pickoffs as a way to extend the pitch clock. Um, do you have any ideas of like what they could do in terms of limiting the pitcher from just stepping off and like, throwing the first just to get a breather and think about what his next move is, you know, and also like, cause that, that's, that's the thing is it's, you got to limit the pitcher from just doing that, you know, five times right. in a bat. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe a consecutive, like, I know that's not a, a fix exactly to the rule, but you know, consecutive pickoffs, like put a number on it, mm-hmm. you know, okay. there'd be two, three, you know, whatever, after your third one, you got to go to the plate or something like that. And I know that doesn't really eliminate the issue that I'm bringing up, but it's still like, what's the, what's the limit at now, right? It's two. And then on your, you can pick off again, but you have to get the runner. If you don't get him, he advances. Right. Yeah. yeah. And nobody's going to take that chance. So, I mean, we'll see those. I mean, if that's, it's well, a lefty, lefty thing. We'll yeah. we'll try and get somebody with that, and they will do it uh, for yeah. sure. Connor, do you have any ideas on like what they could implement? I was thinking something similar to what Billy said, like consecutive. But where I keep getting hung up on is, I mean, you mentioned extending the pitch clock by just stepping off and throwing. Maybe it has to be like a legit because I mean, if they're just stepping off and throwing over there, that's not really a legitimate pickoff attempt. That's just letting them know, hey, I'm thinking about you. I was saying more of like it's got to be a quick move. It's got to be you know a real effort to like trick them and get them out okay. rather than just like a step off, lazy throw over. Hey, I'm thinking about you type deal. I mean, there there can be a limit still on consecutive attempts with that method, but. It's tough to find a perfect system. Here's an idea. What if after a pickoff or after your second consecutive pickoff, the pitch clock loses two seconds after you get the ball back? Mm. Okay. That's that's an interesting angle to come at. It is. I feel like that'd be a little difficult to be constantly thinking about, though. I mean, like I said, I, I don't think that there's a perfect way to do it, and I think that's right. the one part of it that's going to get tweaked over the coming years and seasons. What if, So the pitch clock with a runner on base is at 20 seconds. What if after your second pickoff move on your third, if it doesn't get him, the clock just keeps running? 
See, I mean, that's almost a guaranteed pitch clock violation. I mean, you got to think a lot of pitchers, not very many pitchers get the ball back and yeah. throw it within five seconds. I mean, you still got to communicate what pitch you're throwing. Or, okay, if they're using if... the new uh, system with the electronics. So you know how the the pitch clock stops when uh, the motion starts. The pickoff motion would also be the same motion. So it just pauses. Okay. So say you're starting your motion like you're a left-hander, right? And At 13 seconds. Yeah, you're a left-hander. There's 20 seconds because the pitch clock. You get the pitch clock back. You come set with 13 seconds. You lift your leg. The clock pauses at 13. You've already picked off twice. You go for your third. You don't get them. Well, as soon as you get the ball back from the first baseman, you're back at 13 seconds. There's no reset. And then if you want to pick off again with seven seconds, as soon as you get the ball back, the clock's at seven seconds, and you got to come set quick and make a pitch. I think that might be an interesting angle. I do like that because it would it would still keep the base runner on their toes. Yeah. So that, that is a, a – I hadn't thought of it that way as an option. That, that would be – and we that would obviously have to go through the minors for like three years testing it and the – you know, um, test. League. What's the what do what league do they use for the test league? I forget the name of it. The single A um, Atlantic League, I think, is what they usually use, isn't it? I'm not sure. I can't. Yeah, remember. I feel like I feel like all those rules go to the Atlantic League before they go anywhere else. Like they've got the robo lumps, you know, down there and stuff like that right now. Um, Speaking of robo ups, that is one thing I do not want baseball to adopt. I love the human element of the like inconsistencies from a human umpire. Here's here's my thought process. Just get Pat Hoberg to umpire every single game. <laughs> Make a bunch of Pat Hobergs. And- yeah. <laughs> Cl- clone the man. Wat Woberg. Yes, Wat Woberg is as he is uh, known on the uh, umpire scorecard Twitter. If you ever find yourself on umpire scorecard Twitter, you're in a good place. Yeah, and yes. uh, See, that's why I don't want Robo Ohms to be a thing, is because I love MLB Square, MLB Umpire Tracker. Yeah, but you know, if that pops up on your feed consistently on any social media, you're a true baseball fan at that point. Yeah, absolutely. All right, y'all ready to move on to our uh final segment? Yeah, dude, Florida's up 4 1, baby. Three run shot. <laughs> I, I, I figured the fist pump wasn't because you're super excited for this segment. I knew you had the Florida I mean, game on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, this is this is a new segment. Uh, this is our player of the week. We're also going to have a full team of the month uh, segment, I think. or not 100% sold on that. I think we're going to do it, a full team of the month at the end of each month. But for the end of each week, uh, one player, one position player, one pitcher, one rookie uh, that we all just like really liked for that week. I have a feeling I know who Connors is going to be. <laughs> You would be correct, Billy. <laughs> Brian Reynolds. <laughs> God. He, I, I, I do want to talk about him, though, because he has our yeah. freaking number. Uh, it's absolutely Adam Duvall, Billy, uh, if that is who you were assuming. Of course. Yeah. I mean, 24 at-bats, 8 runs, 11 hits, 12 RBIs, 3 walks, and 3 homers. And just an absolute great first week of the season. One of those being the first walk-off hit of the season. I mean, it's just been a a great start for him. He's hitting 458 right now. Uh, we couldn't have asked for a better start, and that, that was an easy lock player of the week for me. 
my player of the week is Xander Bogarts, the uh, brand new toy uh, in uh, San Diego, as uh, we've dubbed it. That was Xander. He has uh, been on fire. He's batting over 400 uh, with three home runs, three doubles as well. Um, an OBP of 440, a slugging percentage of 955 for an OPS of 1.395. Uh, and he's also looked pretty good at shortstop, proving that you know it wasn't a fluke last year where he had a really good defensive year. Uh, so yeah, Xander is uh, my week one player of the week. Awesome. We all have three different people. Uh, my player of the week is going to be a guy that we kind of dogged on a little bit in our divisional breakdowns. That's going to be Yon Moncada. Uh, he had a decent showing in the World Baseball Classic, but we did kind of call him out for having not lived up to his potential yet, along with the rest of that kind of whole White Sox roster. Uh, he had a great first week, 25 ABs. He's hitting 440 right now. He has 11 hits, and six of them are for extra base hits, including two bombs. He's only walked once, struck out eight times, but it's a promising start, and uh, for that he gets uh, my player of the week just because he surpassed my expectations for him. I like it. Now, to piggyback off of that a little bit and go into my pitcher of the week, uh, another White Sox player. It's a uh, Dylan Cease, who was second in the AL, yeah, AL Cy Young last year. He just had an absolute dominant showing against, again, going back to our divisional breakdowns, one of the best teams in the league right now, if not the best, uh, the Houston Astros. Six point one innings pitched, only gave up two hits in one run, and he had ten strikeouts on no walks. Uh, Last year, he led the majors in walks with 78. So so seeing him get that control and just start going, he had a 72.1% strike throw percentage, uh, which is crazy. It's only the second time he's thrown strikes more than 70% in a start in his career. And so if he keeps up this kind of control and elite performance, uh, he could easily be a Cy Young candidate, if not winner again this year. Yeah, um, my guy is not going to surprise that many people. It's Garrett Cole, who has been nothing shy of dominant through his first two starts. You know, two wins, throwing the most innings uh, so far, uh, 12 and a third. Uh, has given him no home runs, which is kind of what plagues him. Uh, 19 strikeouts, though, in that 12 and one third innings. Uh, so he's just been absolutely dominant. Um I mean, he've always kind of he's always kind of had that uh, strikeout ability, but the home run bugs kind of balanced it out over the last few years because it gives up home runs. But hasn't given up one yet this year. Only one earned run through those uh, twelve innings. Um, I, I expect him to be in the the Cy Young race along with Dylan Cease at the end of the year. Yes, yeah, so the two big name guys you y'all went with. Um... I do not expect my guy to uh, to be there in the Cy Young race in the AL as well. Uh, but for the performance he put on week one, I had to give it to him. Jeffrey Springs of the Tampa Bay Rays. He had a no-hitter through six until he was pulled 12 Ks. Um, and he's kind of 
come out of nowhere a little bit. He was kind of left for dead a little bit. Um, I believe he was with the Rangers and also with uh, the Red Sox, I, I believe, for one season. Um, but in those two seasons with Texas, he had 3380 ERA in 18 games and then a 640 ERA. Then in Boston, he had a plus 70 ERA in 16 games. And then since Tampa Bay, his ERA has been sub 3.5. Uh, in each of his two full years with Tampa Bay. So obviously they've kind of resurrected him a little bit. Um, but what he did in his debut this year, just one walk as well, 12 Ks. I mean, very impressive. He has a negative 0.30 F uh, FIP right now. So obviously not sustainable, but for one week, I'm going to give him the nod. Uh, that was a dominant start for sure. Yeah, he was a, he was a start. guy I was looking at as well for Me that. Too. If he can if he can continue to if he can string together quality starts uh, throughout the season, and Glassnow is healthy, that's a that's a pretty dangerous. Andrew one, two, Rasmussen with Andrew Rasmussen <laughs> and uh, who's the guy they got from Philly this year? I can picture his face. Kyle Gibb. Yeah. No, he's on the Orioles. Uh, Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could have a very strong. <laughs> Very, very strong starting rotation down in the trap. Yeah, definitely. Now, Billy, why don't you lead us off with your rookie of the week? Yeah, so there are a lot of rookies that kind of came out and surprised me uh, this first week. But I'm going to go with one guy we talked about from the reigning NL West champions, and that is James Altman. Two triples in the game the other day, home run in the debut. Um He's a lefty, and he's only had one AB versus a lefty, and he walked. Uh, so he's been doing all his damage off of righties. He's got five RBIs, a bomb, uh, and he's got a stolen base so far, and he's hitting, you know, I think it's plus 350 right now. So he had a really strong first week. Um, I know there's some stronger candidates out there, but I really like what he brings to this lineup. And um, after they've lost, you know, a few pieces this offseason, I think he's a really good addition for them. Um, I'll go look for a guy who I picked to win his uh, team's rookie of the year. And uh, he looks like he's well on the pace for that, even though they do have another guy who is also tearing it up. Uh, this Brewers team's looking pretty, pretty nice, actually. Um, but I'm going to go with Garrett Mitchell, who uh, hit a walk-off bomb last night, uh, which is just one of three he's already hit this year. And he's not a guy who who projects to have a whole lot of power. He's obviously got pop, but um, definitely not known for his, his power pers- uh, specifically. But uh, also to go along with that, he does have a triple to show that he's got the pop and the wheels. He plays a really nice center field. Um, his batting average is right at 300. But his OPS is a 1.214. So, uh, really impressive stuff for him. Uh, potential rookie of the year in the National League candidate, even though there are a lot of good ones over there. Yeah. Austin, I, I was looking at him. Uh, I was also looking at uh, two guys on my Red Sox, but neither of them really impressed me as much as, like you said, Billy James Outman. Uh, just I actually watched that game where he had the triple uh, and the home run. So, two yes, triples. you're right, two triples in that. Uh, I mean, just an incredible performance. 
but yeah, he he's hitting 286 right now. Uh, I've got the stats in front of me, but just a good showing from a rookie on a team where I didn't really think any rookies were going to make a whole lot of noise. So it, it's exciting to see that. Yeah, speaking of uh, rookies as well, I wanted to bring this up. Francisco Alvarez is getting the call uh, for the Mets. Omar Narvaez is going on the IL for eight to nine weeks. So uh, Francisco Alvarez set to join the team. And Grayson Rodriguez just got called up as well. So we're already seeing some early call-ups. But one more thing we wanted to touch on – team of the week so this isn't you know putting together our our players of the week or whatever this is actual team who impressed us um this week connor why don't you go ahead this one's super easy in in my opinion this week uh it's the only team in baseball that hadn't lost yet and that's the tampa bay rays uh pitching has been on display hitting just all over i mean they've got a plus 31 run differential right now which is absolutely absurd. They've uh, outscored their opponents 44 to 13. And as a team, they have a 2.0 ERA right now. So, I mean, just dominant on all levels of the game. And like we mentioned, they had a a pitcher of the week candidate, in our opinion, that I think all three of us looked at. They've got their other guys, McClanahan going in and doing good glass now is going to come in. So, I mean, it's just a a great team top to bottom. And they really displayed that all this week. Fun fact about the Rays, um, I believe it was on DraftKings. There was actually a bet that you could place uh, last team to lose a game uh, this year in the MLB. And the Rays were the favorite because of uh, mainly the schedule. They started out with Detroit, then went to Oakland. And now they have the Red Sox. Um, they could sweep them as well. So might be nine by the time it's all said and done uh, for the Rays. But yeah, really good start for them. Um, yeah, so I, I have a different team, uh, mostly because the Rays are, you know, were projected to be super good and, and haven't really played anybody. Uh, I'm going to go with the Twins, who I mean, they haven't really played that either too many good teams either they played the royals and the marlins so far but both solid ball clubs and uh the twins weren't necessarily projected to be super good but i've just been super impressed with what they've done so far their starting pitching looks really good uh the their bullpen struggled a little bit but their team era is still sub two um joey gallo has been absolutely mashing he was uh on my short list for players of the week so, uh, yeah, I like where the, what the Twins are doing. I think they could uh, make a splash in the uh, AL this year. Awesome. I really thought you were going to go with the Phillies for a second there. <laughs> I mean, the Rangers definitely were on my uh, contention with what they did to the Phillies. Yeah. And that with everything they spent on that roster and all the additions and improvements, to see them be the last club to win a game has got to be tough for those fans. So I heard you just say the Rangers. That was actually my pick um, for my team of the week after sweeping the Phillies and scoring 27 runs to their first two games, which has only been topped by one team since 1900, and that was the 51 White Sox. So a uh, really hot start for them. DeGrom did look rough in his first outing, but came back and struck out, I think, 11 uh, against Baltimore. So they, they swept the Phillies, really good team. And then they dropped two or three to Baltimore. Um, 
who is a good young team, but not the team that I guess, I mean, talent-wise, they kind of match up, honestly. But ended it off with a win, so went two and three, or one and two against uh, the the Orioles. But really strong start to the season for them, uh, taking down the Phillies. They're hitting a combined 760 OPS and have nine homers. They're in the top ten in pitching as well as a team throughout the first week. So the Texas Rangers, strong first week. Uh, they are my team of the week. All right, solid picks. Uh, well, that's going to end this episode. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, check out the website, Phantom Sports Industries, uh, and check out you know the the Twitter at Tricky Takes for Us and uh, Phantom's you know social medias as well. Also, I think we're going to potentially host a first round mock draft challenge where uh, we'll have a little point system and we'll see who can uh, have the the closest first round uh, of the NFL draft to the real deal. So uh, we're considering doing something like that. Um, so be on the lookout, follow our socials. We'll you know, announce anything that we're going to do there on the Twitter so you can uh, know how to submit your entries and stuff like that. So, uh, yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you all next time.